Let me pray for us before we look further at God's word together. Lord God, um, thank you for the Bible, uh, a book which, through which you powerfully speak to us in an active and living way. And we pray that as we set out on this venture together, this voyage of discovery over the course of this year, that you would indeed speak to our hearts and lives clearly through it. Uh, may, may we be moved to more deeply marvel at your salvation plan, uh, progressively revealed through your word and ultimately and wonderfully fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. And may that move our hearts to live more joyfully for you uh, as people of vision, we pray. Amen. Human beings are naturally curious. Uh, human beings are meaning makers. By that, I mean we are wired to try and gain understanding as to what life is all about. And therefore, we have lots of questions about life. Uh, firstly, to do with our origins. Uh, where on earth do we come from? Uh, what is the source of matter that has led to the existence of, of plants and of animals? Uh, why are human beings at the top of the food chain? Uh, where did our ability to think and reason come from? Where did our desire to love and relate come from? So we have questions about our origin. Uh, secondly, we have questions about our purpose. Uh, is there a purpose to our existence? Uh, if not, why on earth do we care about it if we have no purpose? Uh, why do people feel so empty when they feel purposeless? We have questions about our future. We know that everybody dies, but is that it? Uh, if life does somehow, somehow continue after we die, uh, what lies beyond and what can we know about it? And we have questions about God. Is there a God that exists beyond this material world? And if so, how do I relate to him? And what does he expect of me? So you see, there are lots of questions there, and really, I haven't even started to scratch the surface. Uh, sometimes these questions plague people, and at other times, people just go through the motions of life and they ignore them. Uh, they effectively put them in the too hard basket. But these are important questions. These are some of the most important questions about life. And people indeed end up being fairly lost in this world if they don't have any reasonable answers to those questions. Now, the good news is this. It is precisely into these sorts of questions that the Bible speaks. The story of the Bible is the story of life. Uh, the Bible's concern begins with and before life as we know it, through to and after life as we know it, from eternity into eternity, and indeed how we then fit into that story. You see, the Bible has answers for all those questions and many more. Uh, it's like a navman, a satnav, a navigational system for life. So being able to read and understand the Bible, it's of vital importance. But the question is this, how should we read the Bible? How should we understand it? A few years ago, I met a man who told me uh, he wasn't a Christian, but he had started to read the Bible to find out all about it. And so, as you would, he started at the beginning, at Genesis. However, he said 
it didn't take long for him to get completely lost and his head was in an absolute spin. He couldn't make any sense of it whatsoever. So, how should we read the Bible? That question is an important question. Is there any overarching structure to it? Or is the Bible nothing more than a random collection of ancient writings from which we glean ethical lessons? Now, the aim of our overview sermon series is to enable us to understand how the Bible fits together. And it's to give us the framework and the tools to read God's Word as He intends. And in so doing, we get answers to the big questions of life. And in so doing, we are equipped to live as people of purpose and perspective. Now, the big idea of the Bible, and indeed of this overview series, is this. God has a plan. God has a plan for us. God has a plan for His creation. And He reveals the plan progressively throughout the Bible, bit by bit. And therefore, it seems appropriate that we should start our overview series in this incredibly rich and profound passage in Ephesians chapter 1. Because as you probably noticed, what is the central theme of that passage? It is God's big plan for His creation. So let me give you a brief roadmap to tell you where we're going to go this morning. We're going to see firstly at the revelation of God's plan. Secondly, the goals of God's plan. Thirdly, the span of God's plan. And finally, at the importance of understanding God's plan. That's where we're going. So, uh, let us work closely with this wonderful passage and start by thinking on the revelation of God's plan. Uh, God does have a plan for His creation. Uh, Did you notice the repeated use of terms like God's will or God's plan when the passage was being read by Thomas? Look at verse 11, for example. According to the plan of Him, that is God, who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of His will. As we are going to see in our overview, uh, throughout the Old Testament history, God progressively reveals more and more details of His plan. It's what's called, and what theologians call, progressive revelation. And with the coming of Christ, God has now placed all His cards on the table. Uh, Before Christ's coming, uh, some aspects of God's plan were still a mystery. But now with the coming of Christ, any remaining mystery has been replaced by clarity. Look at verse 9. And he, that is God, made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ. He has now made the mystery of his will known to us. So what is God's plan? Uh, What is God seeking to achieve? What are the goals of God's plan? And indeed, in this passage, we see three big goals on the page. Firstly, uh, for God's Son, that is Jesus, to reign supreme. Secondly, for God's people to enjoy His blessing. And thirdly, for God's glory to shine radiantly. So let's look at the first of those. The goal of God's plan for God's Son, that is Jesus, to reign 
supreme, supreme over all creation. Uh, When God's plan reaches its fulfillment, all people and all things in all places, that is in heaven and on earth, will be unified together under a glorious rule, the rule of Christ. Look again at verse 9. And he, that is God, made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. And verse 20 onwards reveals that Jesus' rule and reign has already started in this present age with his ascension to heaven, but it will not be limited to this present age. It's going to extend on out into the eternal age to come. Look at verse 20 onwards. He, that is God the Father, raised him, that is Christ, from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So, uh, God's plan for Jesus to reign supreme over the creation has another component to it. God has chosen a people who will willingly submit to the rule and reign of Christ. Look at verse 11. Uh, we were also chosen according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Uh, We go on to see that those God has chosen, he has chosen to enjoy his blessing. Look at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Uh, During this life, The blessings of those chosen to be God's people, they are primarily spiritual. That is, they are not visible in this world. They are spiritual blessings in the heavenly realm. The blessings, they are relational and they are eternal. But just because they can't be seen does not in any way diminish their reality or their value. These blessings are priceless. And indeed, we saw some of them listed throughout this chapter. Uh, Firstly, the blessing of standing blameless before God. Look at verse 4. For he, that is God, chose us in him, that is Christ, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. Another blessing, secondly, the blessing of being loved sons in God's family, with all the rights and privileges that go with being members of God's family. Verse 5. In love... He predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ. Uh, Thirdly, another blessing, the blessing of freedom. Freedom from fear, freedom from futility, and freedom from our enslavement to sin and its penalty. It's a freedom that comes through what the Bible calls redemption. Look at verse 7. In him we have redemption, that is freedom, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. So you see, God's plan is to move those he chooses 
from a state of ruin to redemption, from a state of curse to a state of blessing. And there is a third component to God's plan. Uh, God's plan is for Jesus to reign supreme over a renewed creation and over his sinless, blameless, redeemed people. But behind all that God's plan and wills is one overarching purpose. The praise of his glory. Uh, We indeed sung about it in the song before the sermon. Let's look at verse 11 again. Uh, In him, that is Christ, we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. Verse 5. He, that is God the Father, predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ, in accordance with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace. And if we're still in any doubt, verse 14, speaking of the Holy Spirit, who is the deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. Uh, To our ears it sounds somewhat inappropriate and self-serving that God's plan should be ultimately about bringing himself glory. But it sounds inappropriate because we don't understand who God is and how worthy he is to receive our glory. And it sounds inappropriate because we also don't understand that actually our happiness is bound up with his glory. Uh, We know from our own experience in life, don't we? Uh, We enjoy singing the praises of something or someone we greatly admire. And yet, the point is this. Our greatest joy will be marveling at the magnificence of who God is and what he's done for us in Christ. Of course, um, you'll be familiar maybe with some of the writings of John Piper and C.S. Lewis. These are theologians who have um, dug down in this whole issue. Uh, They've written some really helpful material on this whole idea of how God's glory is ultimately the source of our deepest joy. And if you want to know more about that, please ask me afterwards. So, uh, we've seen the revelation of God's plan. Secondly, we've seen the goal of God's plan. And now thirdly, let's see the span of God's plan. Uh, God's plan for His creation extends over an incredible span of time. Uh, Before the dawn of creation, before anything that is, was, God conceived his plan in his mind's eye. Before Genesis chapter 1 happened, God chose those who were to be members of Christ's eternal holy people. He chose those who were to be members of God's family. Look at verse 4. For he chose us in him, that is Christ, before the creation of the world, to be his holy, to be holy and blameless in his sight. Before the creation of the world, God predestined those he had chosen to be his loved sons in his family. Look at the end of verse 4. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ 
in accordance with his pleasure and will. Uh, to be predestined means to have our destiny predecided. It's a bit like putting an address into your satnav on your phone. Before the world began, God set the destiny of those he had chosen, and their destiny was clear. It was a glorious destiny to be chosen to by, by God to be his blameless people, his loved children and his family, destined for glory under the rule and reign of Christ. And not only is God's plan conceived in eternity past, but it extends out into eternity future. God's plan is presently building to a future, final fulfillment, when all things will be perfectly submitted to the unending reign and rule of Christ. Look at verse 9 again. And he, that is God the Father, made known to us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times will have reached their fulfillment, to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. And so you see, the span of God's plan is vast. It was conceived in eternity past, and it extends out into eternity future. Uh, let's pause for a moment to consider the implications of this for how we should read the Bible. Uh, the first point to note is this. The Bible is the story of God's redemption plan. Uh, God has a glorious plan, and it's a plan that He has progressively revealed throughout biblical history. And when we understand that, it helps us then to read the Bible properly. On the one hand, it is true to say that the Bible is a collection of books, actually 66 in total, 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New. And it's true to say that each book has its own theme, historical setting, and issues that it addresses. But, on the other hand, it is also true to say that the Bible is one book. From beginning to end, it speaks of one great unfolding story of God's plan to save the world through Jesus. And it's a story that moves from ruin to redemption. It's a story that moves from curse to blessing. So how should we make sense of the Bible? Now, in my preparation, I came across uh, someone's attempt to do a Bible overview in 50 words, would you believe? Uh, do you think that can be done? Well, uh, let's see what you think. This is what uh, he put. I'll put it on the screen so you can follow it. Uh, God made. Adam ate. Noah built. Abraham split. Joseph ruled. Jacob fooled. Bush talked. Moses balked. Pharaoh plagued. People walked. Sea divided. Tablets guided. Land entered. Saul freaked. David peaked. Prophets warned. Jesus born. God walked. Loved talked. Anger crucified. Hope died. Jesus rose. Spirit flamed. Word spread. God remained. 
Well, you may well be asking, why on earth are we spending 27 weeks and sermons looking at an overview of the Bible? Surely this guy's managed it in 50 words. Can't we all just go home? Well, what's the problem with this overview? Well, clever as it is, maybe you noticed, it doesn't show any connections between those different parts of the Bible story. Whenever we read a passage in the Bible, we need to understand where the book fits into the bigger picture. We need to ask that question, how does this book contribute to the one great plan of God weaved throughout the Bible's storyline? I've already referred to this book by Vaughan Roberts, uh, God's Big Picture, I do recommend it. Uh, But in this book, Vaughan explains that when SAS soldiers parachute into unknown territory, they're trained to pause before moving. The first thing an SAS soldier does when parachuting into enemy territory is to get his or her bearings. And only after they've done that should they set out for their destination. Now, that's actually pretty good advice for how we should read the Bible. It is difficult to properly understand any part of the Bible apart from understanding its place in the whole of the Bible. So that's why our aim in this sermon series is to build this wonderful overview of the main storyline of the Bible, and then we can get our bearings in whatever part of the Bible we're reading, you see? Now then, uh, the second implication which helps us read the Bible well is to remember that at the end of the day, all of the Bible is all about Jesus. His name is whispered throughout the pages of the Old Testament. After his resurrection, uh, Jesus does actually a Bible overview with two of his disciples whilst walking with them on the road to Emmaus. Wouldn't you like to have been a fly on the wall for that? a Bible overview led by the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And at this stage, uh, the Bible, of course, only consisted of the Old Testament scriptures. And Jesus explains to them how all of these Old Testament scriptures are ultimately all about him. Uh, Luke 24, verse 7 says this, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explains to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And a little while later, before he ascends to heaven, he spends time with all his disciples and have a look at what he says to them. Luke 24, verse 44, he said to them, This is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. That's a way of summarizing the whole of the Old Testament scriptures. And then he opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. So you see, uh, we cannot understand the Bible without understanding who Jesus is and what he came to do. Uh, Vaughan Roberts summarizes it very well in his book. Uh, Let me quote it to you. He says this, The whole Bible points to Jesus from beginning to end. In the Old Testament, God points forward to him and promises his coming in the future. In the New Testament, God proclaims him to be the one who fulfills all his promises. 
Uh, there's a very helpful diagram uh, in the book which summarizes all that. There it is. The Old Testament promises point to Jesus. The New Testament reflects back on those promises and says, this is how they have been fulfilled. Which is why, of course, the New Testament quotes so much of the Old Testament to show how it all fits together. So the only way we can really understand the Old Testament, of course, is in the light of the gospel. And of course, as we'll be seeing uh, in the course of the overview, the way that the Old Testament does speak about Jesus, that will become clear as we study it together. So uh, we've seen, firstly, the revelation of God's plan. Secondly, the goals of God's plan. Thirdly, the span of God's plan. Finally, let's look at the importance of understanding God's plan. Did you notice what was at the heart of Paul's prayer for those Christians at Ephesus? Paul's deepest desire was that these Christians grow in their understanding of God's plan. Uh, Did you notice the various terms that he used that refer to a growing knowledge? Look at verse 17 onwards. He says this. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that we may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Do you see, he's praying that they would see with clearer eyes what God has in store for them when his plan reaches its time of fulfillment. So let's close with a few applications, a few reflections on what we've seen today. Firstly, our prayer for this overview series. Really, Paul's prayer should become our prayer throughout this year. We as a people together should be praying this, God, please give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that we can know you better. We should be praying on our knees, please God, open my eyes and our eyes, the eyes of our hearts, so that we may know more deeply our hope and inheritance in Christ. Will you pray that with me every week? Secondly, uh, do we really understand what God is like and what he is doing? God's plan, it is mind-stretching. It is mind-bending. Merely hearing or reading about God's plan will not really mean that we've taken it fully on board. Uh, There is this danger that we will go too quickly to application. We'll say, okay, if that's God's plan, how should it affect my life? But there is great wisdom in hitting the red pause button. And there is great wisdom in asking, how can I really understand what God is like and what God is doing? How can I dig deeper? How can I reflect further? And it may well indeed be studying the overview passages to get yourselves in more depth, And as I've shown you, I have Bible study questions for each of those sermon passages. 
Uh, do ask me about those if you want. Uh, it may be talking to others about discussion questions over coffee and during the week, and that's the idea behind the notebooks, to enable us to reflect and to dig deeper. A third reflection application is this. Ultimately, Christ is the answer to all our questions about life. All our questions about our origins, about our purpose in life, our questions about God, our questions about the future, they're all answered in Christ. All of God's plans and all of his purposes are centered in Christ. Look at verse 22. And God placed all things under his, that is Christ's, feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. And did you notice how interwoven Christ is through this wonderful, glorious passage in Ephesians? All of God's purposes, all of God's blessings are anchored in Christ. Verse 5 again. He predestined, that is the Father, us to be adopted as his sons through Christ Jesus. Verse 7. In him, that is in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. Verse 4, for he, that is God the Father, chose us in him, that is Christ, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. Verse 12, we who were the first to hope in Christ might be for the praise of his glory. And did you notice how we only access God's blessings through Christ? It's only by responding appropriately to the Bible's message about him. Verse 13 again. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. And it's only through coming to Christ in faith for the forgiveness of our sins. Verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith, in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so that moves us on to our fourth point. Uh, it is not all about me. Uh, the span of God's plan is vast. It stretches from eternity past to eternity future. And the goals of God's plan are grand. Establishing a people who will enjoy unending blessing and shalom under the rule and reign of Christ in the age to come. And all this is so that God's glory will burn ever brighter in the hearts of his people and throughout the universes. Is there not always the danger that we become over-focused on ourselves and the concerns of our lives? Uh, are we not all prone to seeing God as being there primarily to serve our own interests and to sort out our problems? And yet the more clearly we see and understand God's plan, the more it enlarges our vision of life. We are more able to locate our lives in a true web of reality. And in so doing, we live with a truer set of priorities and hopes. We keep things in perspective. And the issues and concerns of our lives are anchored in a canvas that stretches from eternity past into eternity future. 
And we also have a heightened concern for God's glory. The final reflection is this, confidence in God's plan. Uh, One of the greatest take-homes for me when I did the Bible overview in 1998 was an increased confidence in God fulfilling His plan. It actually did, I say, blow my mind to use a cliche. I said, wow. So, I then understood God has conceived His plan before the creation of the world. It then became clear to me that God has been progressively revealing His plan throughout the Old Testament era. It then occurred to me that God is dramatically starting and has started enacting the plan with the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Christ. And then I said to myself, well, if He's already done all that, done all that I can be confident that He's going to finish the job. I can be certain that He will bring the plan to final fulfillment in the age to come. And I can be certain that he will bring me home to glory. And the more I ingested that, the more that verse 11 had this wonderful ring of truth about it. Again, verse 11. According to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. God's purposes are unstoppable. Do you see what verse 11 is saying? God is bending all things that happen to serve the purpose of his plan, even the great acts of evil in the world. God is the one who works out everything so that it conforms to the purpose of his will. And if that's true, then that grows my trust in God's watch over my life, especially during dark and difficult times. It means I can know in my heart as well as my mind, God is in control, His purposes are unstoppable, and He will bring me home to glory. And then I ask the question, okay, where does that leave me? And I ask the question, what now can I do to serve His plan and to bring, that will bring Him and me to glory? Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for your amazing plan, conceived in eternity past, fulfilled in eternity future, centered on Christ, and which chooses a people for yourself, whom you will bring from a place of curse to blessing and from ruin to redemption. Thank you for that amazing plan. May we be touched more deeply by it, and may it infuse our hearts and minds and give us perspective in life to live as people joyfully under the rule and reign of Christ, looking always ultimately to that goal of your glory, both now and for eternity. Amen. We're going to close.